As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we're reviewing the FA Cup action and pondering whether a visit to Wembley would make Gary O'Neill manager of the season. We'll also be discussing Everton's four-point reprieve, contemplating Brighton's future prospects and looking ahead to the weekend's action. And joining me, Tom Clark, for all of that, we have the chief correspondent for The Times and Sunday Times, Martin Samuel, a former footballer who reached the 1994 FA Cup final with Chelsea, it's Tony Cascarino, and another former footballer who played against both Neil Dan's and Jason Kumas, the fathers of Liverpool's teenage goalscorers last night. It's Gregor, it's crap being 40, Robertson. <laughs> I hate to feel old. Yeah, that's the first time you've ever contributed your intro to me last night via text, saying how old you felt watching yeah. those kids score. Yeah. No, I've, I've very, it seems to be happening with you know increased reg, you know, regularity now. But you uh, look great on it, mate, and you've still thanks. got your hair, which is what I said to you over very time. Very great, but getting younger as well. Yeah, anyway, let's <laughs> don't start. Let's get back onto the football. And speaking of Liverpool's kids, He's that was one of the standout stories of last night he's at it already listeners he cannot help himself honestly I've not even asked him a question yet and he's already been badly behaved Gregor what did you notice from the FA Cup what storylines caught your eye what players grabbed your attention I mean Liverpool's kids stole the stole the headlines again because uh, they started this time as well and they were, they were look Southampton had obviously had some chance, chances early on do you think that was deliberate by Jurgen Klopp Kind of following the Carabao Cup thing, you could have gone either way, couldn't you? As a you know, your managers managing these scenarios and going, oh no, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna protect you after all the attention. But he went the other way, and he didn't just bring them on. As you say, they all started. Yeah, look, I also don't think they had much choice. Mm. There was only you know only really rested uh, McAllister. Uh, yeah, there weren't many. <laughs> there weren't many left. No. They've got a lot of injuries. So, yeah, but the trust, yeah. yeah, but the trust that he's shown them, uh, he just kind of doubled down on that and. And I think they repaid them. There was, as I say, Southampton were had a lot of the ball and they were had some chances in the first half. But the the key moments were were uh, brought to life by the youngsters again. What? Kumas, Kumas, kind of the way he just like drifted in field. He was fortunate with the deflection, but the way that goal was created was was created in the academy. And then Dan's came on and looks like he's bristling with confidence for someone so young. Great little dink finish. So mm. it's a great story, and it's a story that keeps on giving. It's, it's a, I think what, what he's done there as well, they've got a lot of league games coming up. They, they, they're not going to be playing, unless mm. he's got so many injuries that he absolutely has to. Kids aren't going to be playing against Manchester City in a couple of weeks' time. Let's be. So this is the opportunity, the Carabao Cup, when they came on later in the game, and, and to start in, in an FA Cup match against a team from the Championship at Anfield. It, you know, under normal circumstances, were it not for the Carabao Cup final, if he'd have played that team, you'd have gone, well, that's the sort of team that Liverpool sometimes put out in the FA Cup. So it was a perfect opportunity just to keep that momentum going for those uh, boys, for him to show... You have got a role to play at this football club. You have got a, a future at this football club. You know you can succeed at Liverpool, um, and they won the game. You know they, they they're they're good enough. You know they're certainly good enough at that level. Um, I'd just like to stand up for footballers, the dads, because <laughs> you get stereotypes sometimes of not being the greatest dads. Okay, um, there's three dads there who've got their sons playing mm-hmm. in professional football. And it's so hard following on. We'll go back to the Frank, uh, you know, Frank Lampard days, and you've had, you know, the sons go through, and, and and others. And I just thought, what a lovely scenario where three players in the same team, Kumas, Dan, and obviously uh, Clark as well, and their three dads are all ex-players who played at a top level. And I'm thinking, fair play to them. Do you know what? For every family listening, and this is not just for ex-footballers, but so many of us 
drive our kids everywhere to go and give them an opportunity to play football. Mm. Girls and boys, you know, all different clubs now. And I, I just thought the whole story was just lovely. And this is not sentiment of Liverpool's performances. If I want to talk about that, I can't believe for love nor money how Liverpool have not conceded in the last two games. Chelsea and Southampton. Mm. I mean, look, Keller was brilliant in mm. both games. Pulled off yeah. big saves. But boy, the teams they've played against have had a host of chances. And I don't know why. I just feel like this is something really weird that's happening with Liverpool because no one's punishing them. Mm. If you look at their last, I think it's the last seven games, they've conceded seven goals and three of them were against Arsenal. They're not actually conceding. But if you look at the amount of chances that teams are getting mm, against them, mm. it's extraordinary that they're not conceding. Mm. And that was a bit of a standout feature for me in that game last night. Coming back to the dad's point, any with the, what was it like with your kids? Were they? I got five they, boys. Yeah, so and they're they all feel... useless. From... <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bad dad. <laughs> no, they. I had a, my third eldest is not bad. Yeah, um, but did they all want to play? Did they all? Were they yeah, aware of now, how good you eight. were? What you done? You played yeah, in a World yeah, yeah, Cup. Yeah. Did they know all that? My my youngest now loves. He's really into buying all the cards and he loves playing football and he's always kicking the ball around at home mm. and missus telling him, stop, stop, you know, and taking him out. He, lo- he, he, he loves it. And you're it. going, hit it harder, hit uh, it harder. Well, Yeah. So it's a really, really weird one because our generation tended to have to work, you know, because obviously, okay, we had a decent living, but we we don't earn the sums where there's a lot of dads who are going to come out of football and do not have to do anything. Mm. You know, they're mm-hmm. quite shrewd with their finances. They can take their son everywhere. They can put them in, you know, all the costs of putting them into clubs or, you know, daily fees and ho- the holiday periods, putting them in for a week. You know, all them sort of things that they can do quite comfortably. Mm. Um, and I do think there is a, it feels like this isn't just a, I can't remember so many kids who yeah. have come from dad players at any time more than now. Archie Gray at Leeds as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a big story in the paper, there is, isn't there? Andy Gray. The police with Lee Clark, Lee Clark was lovely as well. Yeah. You know, mm. he was saying all the things you'd want a dad to say about, yeah. like, you know, I've never been pushy. If he wants to ask me something, yeah. he can mm. come and ask me. Like, he was full of praise for Liverpool, the way that they kind of, they mirrored the way that Jurgen Klopp wants Liverpool to play. That, you know, in the in the youth team, so that when they make that step up, it's not like something really new to them. They just say, "Go." And They're play also the same humble way. as well, Gregor, aren't yeah. they? Well, Martin and I were, were talking about this before. Yeah. It's like there's something about they seem very well-rounded, quite mature mm. young guys, and you know, a lot of now academies, elite academies, you're also putting you're, they're contributing know. to the education. Sometimes they've got a, an associated school joined to the yeah. academy, or you know, they they have tutors and stuff like that. They're, so they're, they're they're saying they want to. They want to kind of mould good young people as well, and that helps them in terms of like if you're a fast learner, it'll help you on the pitch as well. That's what's that's the whole kind of idea now. We were saying that uh, I was saying that um, a friend of mine works in admissions at um, universities and like some significant universities, and she was saying to me that for all of the the, the marks you get when they're doing this assessment, for all the marks you get for being the first one from your family to go to university and how much that is encouraged. What the university is really like is two parents that have um, got degrees mm. because that establishes that they know what it's like to stay the three years at university or the four years or however long your courses. They've got a parental background that has gone through that process and those kids are far less likely to leave university after say a year or a year and a half and get fed up with it or, or whatever than than people who've stayed the course. It must be the same for football clubs with somebody whose parent was a professional footballer because they know that at home they will be getting the right advice, the correct advice, don't do this, do that, this is what you should do, listen to your manager, listen to your coaches. They, you know, you haven't got to, you you haven't got to sort of teach them all of that because they, you know that they'll be going to be taught to some degree at home. That's number one. And number two, the further to the point that, um, that Gregor was making that we were talking about there, I don't want this to sound as if you're sort of having a go at the state system or whatever, but you've got a lot of clubs now that that put their uh, most promising uh, youth prospects into, say, a local private school, into that uh, private education, where 
they know you're not necessarily the, the sort of Ravel Morrison type, you know, yeah. in with the wrong crowd. You, you might have circumvented that. Right. You you might have got your way around that because they're at Repton or the the one in the one just outside London that is is classic is um is Whitgift. Yeah. Um near Croydon. And I think Crystal Palace and Chelsea feed kids into Whitgift. Victor Moses went to the I want to say under sixteen, under seventeen World Cup, whichever one of those it was. Uh and it was at a certain time in the year that was in the build up to the GCSEs. And Whitgift said they will allow him to go. I would say to uh, the FA, said to England, they'll allow him to go on one condition, which is that you pay for one of our teachers to go and be his tutor. And when he's not playing or training, he is in he is in his um, his room working with the tutor on preparing for the GCSEs. Victor Moses gets five GCSEs, I think. Mm. Which you might look at and go, well, that's not, you know, out of wit gift, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, do. But you had to see what Victor Moses was projected to get when he arrives at wit gift and what he ends up getting. Yeah. And it, it's it's very important. You, you're, you're creating, it's a much more holistic approach than it used to be, but basically. Is, is there a danger and a flip side, maybe, that it becomes a little bit more manufactured? And yeah. when you think about the you know, the, the Wayne Rooney's, the, you know, inverted commas, the street footballers, if mm. you like, who just burst onto the scene, barreling through as a 15, 16-year-old, who, when did you play against him? When he was 15 in that reserves match? He was 15, 16, yeah. and you were like, this guy looks like he's made it already. Is he a one-off, or are we actually getting a bit down the line of where you kind of have to have this nurturing and these the parental guidance, so you're maybe going to not get Wayne Rooney's? There's, there's, no, you, you, you'll still get Wayne Rooney's, I would have thought. There's a lot of ways to skin a cat. Um, if Wayne Rooney's talent was channeled in another way, he's still yeah. been a hell of a footballer. I mean, he told a story the other day about crossing the street with a a bag with, like, cider and some fags in it and something, mm. and, and he saw his... He's, uh, he's Everton coach pulling up at the Zebra Crossing yeah. <laughs> and he was like you know, <laughs> yeah, as a teenager yeah, yeah. and you think yeah. you know if they'd been able to if there was more of a sort of ho- the holistic thing that we're talking about now yeah. if that was there in the past then you know I'm sure Wayne Rooney would still be we wouldn't have wouldn't have detracted from the no, player that Wayne Rooney you was know, it's, it's not like state schools can't produce footballers let's, let's be fair we all know state schools have been producing footballers for 200 years but, but it's just a case of you're getting more um, footballers, you know, the more money there is in football, the more chances that footballers' sons will be, will have the educational background and will have that degree of, um, I don't know, Frank Lampard, say. Yeah. You know, Frank Lampard, you know, because Frank Senior had the money to send Frank Lampard to Brentwood, you've got a kid with 10 O levels and, you know, I saw him get his Football of the Year award and he wasn't phased at all by standing up in front of people and speaking and stuff and he wasn't your archetypal tongue-tied yeah. uh, footballer that, that, that you know that a, a lot of the kids the, the kids Frank, would have been and, and Frank Senior done very well in the property business oh, absolutely so, yeah. so, so there is an element of is it uh, could it become a little bit more elitist um, I hope not I always feel there will be a pathway for players with a lot of, of talent um, so it's it's a weird one because when I first went to France and I obviously joined Nancy who had an incredible academy at Nancy and they had kids stand there from the age of twelve and 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 that we're seeing that way more often now in the top the top clubs where kids are going at six seven we've heard Mason Mount being at the club since six we're seeing a lot of this um, mm-hmm. and Chelsea's academy was extraordinary but we're seeing a lot of extraordinary academies now and I ju- it just struck me that on a night the three players. Of their, their age were all in a team that had dads that were mm. professional footballers. Jaden Dan's, oh, Dan's interview after was brilliant as well. He was because mm. he, he saw the enthusiasm and all the things that, that you would think would be natural, but when it was put to him at the end, you know, do yeah. you, what about next? You know, Old Trafford at the weekend or whatever. Not Old Trafford, you know, big yeah. games coming the weekend. Yeah. And he was, he said, he was then he kind of reverted yeah. to, now look, I'm really pleased to get these opportunities. I really hope there's more in the future. And like, Klopp did that on. afterwards. Klopp mm-hmm. did exactly back to the, they've done fantastic. They've been brilliant, mm-hmm. and he, you know, but he also they've got a long way to go. You know, mm-hmm. just because what's happened in the last week is or ten days has been extraordinary, there's a long way down that pathway yeah. as we know, and that's where fathers and 
uh, coaches around you. You know, some of the best coaches I've ever played, they were they were like your parents, yeah. where yeah. they they cared for you, and they also made you very aware of the pitfalls. I I did a lot of stuff with Liam Brady. I've chatted to Liam about the academy mm. at Arsenal. So he had a lot of players, like obviously, um, you know, that had come through Oxlade Chamberlain. He was mm. privately educated, um, and, and others. And he said we worked really hard, not only just to make the best footballer, but the best person we can. Yeah, mm, yeah. The, the the other thing that they want, all clubs want with academies, is control. Yeah. So they they're looking to control the kids from a from a very young age, and and we could argue too young, and you know you, you're not going to get street footballers or whatever. I still think you will do, but say, um, like the, the Whitgift situation, and it just just so happens I I just know this. Uh, this school, Colin Pates, was the, uh, yeah, the, the, the director of football there yeah. and, and, and stuff. And one of the things that Whitgift do is they say, right, the condition to accepting boys from Chelsea and Crystal Palace, etc., is you must play for the school team. Right. Now, this is, this is very interesting. What, as we, well as being in an academy? Yeah, mm. you must play for the school team. You must represent Whitgift. Because what Whitgift want to do is read out a succession of cricket scores at Assembly every Monday morning. You know, we've won 10-0, we've won 12-0 or whatever. It's, I mean, it is... Mount it's wrong like, with a bit like, of cricket. We love the cricket it's like the times. Man City. It's like it, it, They're like the Man City of private schools. But, but what it does, so they say, you must play for the school. But the school will play Wednesday night. Right. Plays midweek, doesn't enter leagues. Plays friendly matches or, or whatever, or might play the mm. might play the the cup or, or, or whatever. It, but it plays midweek, so that on Saturday, you play for the academy, and so that fits that fits mm. in with the clubs perfectly. Because what you what what happens now is you get kids that never play for their school, really yeah. good footballers that should be having fun with their school friends. Mm that never play with their school friends because they just play for the for the academy every weekend. And now the academies start from 11 onwards. You never play for your school team anymore. Yeah. Whitgift have found the way around that. You play for the school and the school plays on Tuesday night or Wednesday night or whatever, which leaves you free to go to Cardiff with Arsenal or whatever yeah. on Saturday. You well, know? Liverpool's youngsters are certainly having fun in the FA Cup and in other competitions this season. They march on to the quarterfinals, as do lots of other teams as well. Manchester United through Manchester City, Leicester, Newcastle. But I wanted to talk about Wolves. They beat Brighton. They're into a quarterfinal. Um, it is another remarkable chapter in what Gary O'Neill is doing at that <laughs> club, isn't it, this season? I mean, what did he take over five days, about a week before the start of the season? Five days. Five, five days. days. I mean, I wanted to pose the question we've talked about Rob Edwards and Luton and if he kept them up and mm-hmm. wondering about managers of the season and things if Gary O'Neill can get Wolves to Wembley a semi-final a final win it could he be if, manager of the season if Gary O'Neill can get well, I mean Wolves are now increasingly in the vicinity of um, European qualification because that will come down to seventh I, I would imagine yep um, at least because Liverpool have won the League Cup, so they've qualified for the Conference League. But, um, you know, I think they'll set their European ambitions slightly higher than that. Yeah. So, um, it'll probably come down to seventh. Seventh is possible for Wolves. If he could get them to a Wembley final, if he could get them into Europe next season, bearing in mind the season began and most people thought Wolves would get relegated because they were meant to be in so much yeah, trouble well, that's the thing, financially isn't it? selling that. half the players, couldn't score a goal to save their lives... It's it's a fabulous job the man's done. Absolutely yeah. fantastic job. Um, considering as well, only because he lives round the corner from me, Gary. You and keep Sean trying Gary. to get an invite round for a cup of tea, well, don't no, you? That's I, the second time it. you've mentioned that. I know. I, 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 I bump into Gary uh, sometimes at Orbiton Station or in a local coffee shop. And I've had a couple of chats with him, only brief uh, conversations. And also he's friends with, oh, sorry, his assistant Sean Derry I know as well because he lives round the corner as well. You know, they travel up mm. every day at six o'clock in the morning from Bromley to Wolverhampton every day and come back. Bad planning, I would say. Right. So Can't he's doing all this, the season with that all this stuff they're doing in the car. I don't know. They it shows you how far everything. some people go <laughs> well, to avoid Wolverhampton. He, he doesn't stay. In, don't come on. He doesn't stay in Wolverhampton. <laughs> but it's not because he doesn't want to stay. He just does the job from Bromley to Wolverhampton. And I'm thinking... God, that's a massive ask. All the stuff that you need to do, all the preparation. I think what Gary's really been good at has been walking to a club and not really asking for too much change. 
Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you can walk inside with these weren't good enough. You know, he had to do what Liverpool did and rebuild a midfield. Yeah. You know, they lost Moutinho. They lost Neves. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, so they've lost midfielders and they've re- rebuilt a team. And obviously they've had Neto at the football club um, and, and others. And Dawson, the great. I mean, him and uh, Kilman are two good, decent centre-halves. are very reliable. Um, and I just think... From a very simple idea, and also he knew that he had midfielders that could join the forward line. He does that really well. And it's a great counter-attacking idea that he has with his side. I mean, we saw it in the opening game of the season. I mean, you say he'd been at the club for five days before. Their performance at Manchester United was, considering they lost the game, was extraordinary. Mm-hmm. They ripped United to pieces. Absolutely. And and I remember thinking, he's only been in the job a short period mm-hmm. of time. And you can quite silly see what he was trying to do with the way the team played. And to be fair, he's quite a brave manager. He understands that they just can't sit. They're not sitting side and just mm. go, let's get everybody behind the ball and offer no threat. His t- team played with purpose, and I give Gary a lot of credit for that. He did a superb job at Bournemouth as well, I thought. Yeah. I thought he was very, very unlucky at Bournemouth. Yeah. He's probably had, in the last year the most unluckiest of the lot to lose his job yeah. with what happened there. Tailed off slightly at Bournemouth, but I remember us discussing on a Thursday show before, picking out... The FA Cup winner that we would like for the sake of the for the sake of the season, for the sake of the league, for a sake of point and difference. So Coventry, Leicester, Man City, Newcastle, Chelsea, Man United, Liverpool and Wolves. Who do you want to win it? Gregor Robertson. <laughs> I mean I'd go for Coventry all day. Yeah. Coventry all day. Not too The winner much. of that tie. Yeah. That's a that's the you know, that's a good tie in fact, because it means one's progressing to the semi final yeah. and they've got a chance. Uh you know. Coventry are Coventry a great story as well they have been for a long time Mark Robbins one of the most underrated managers in the country um, had to rebuild his team as well after m- making the championship playoff final last uh, in May losing to Luton obviously uh, and had a slow start but now they're really right back in the hunt for promotion again and possibly into into an FA Cup semi-final so anything that Coventry do now is a great story yeah there you go Coventry fans we cast you as the bad guys on Monday show because you were playing against our beloved Maidstone United but now you're through and you're playing a Premier League big big boy we can be uh, we can be on your side and um, we're going to move on now and uh, talk about some news that broke on Monday just after we'd recorded the jam-packed podcast uh, Paul Joyce got the news that Everton would have their 10 point penalty for FFP breaches reduced to six did we see this coming Martin Samuel well no because it was a, it was sort of Sensible, and I never see common sense coming in football anymore. So, so you, you're on you're on board with a with an FFP related decision? No, no, because six points. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! We should have a clax. <laughs> we should have some kind of klaxon for six that. Six points <laughs> is still far too much, but um, but it's bad. You know, look, I was talking to some, uh, a few weeks ago. I was talking about this. It might have been on this show. Um, because I'm not anywhere else. Yeah, I was going to say you uh, better believe it yeah, on this show because I'm not anywhere else. So, um. And I and I said that what could happen is it could get reduced to, and I think I might have mentioned six points or five points or whatever. And if that was the initial penalty, you'd think, well, this is ridiculous. I've been deducted six points or whatever. But because it was ten points, it's now become, oh, this is a common sense decision. I, I still don't think it. I still don't think it is. Uh, there is still the potential for the appeal. Mm. Uh, for Everton and Nottingham Forest, which is a case that's yet to be heard. But the appeal date, if it all goes according to schedule, is May the 24th. That's the deadline for any appeal. And you may or may not notice that the season actually ends on May the 19th. So we could have a Super Sunday where we still haven't got a clue who's gone down. and, and Be running you know, two different Premier League tables. Uh, we're running two different Premier League tables depending on appeal, which is ridiculous. Um, but... Is it better than 10 points? Yes. And they're a bit lucky because the way it's going, six points probably isn't going to relegate Everton unless mm. they get done six points again yeah. and then make it 12. But they're a, bit, a little bit lucky than that. I, I, I don't like the precedent of points deductions. No. I, I don't like the idea that leagues get decided in the chambers of lawyers and accountants. Um, I like football. Yeah. Gregor? I think it's just illuminated the kind of the absence of a of like a framework for punishment for any of these things. Look, you can it's a totally. separate debate to have a debate about the sort of validity or merits of, you know, yeah. profit, sustain, profit sustainability regulations. 
which we've done many times. Yeah, <laughs> but we can do that every single. But to, <laughs> <laughs> but the the clearest thing from this for me is that, as I say, there's no there's no framework. You know, this decision might ultimately provide the framework for what Nottingham Forest and and uh, any other club should expect. But it's 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 come to something when they're actually citing the EFL, the, the EFL. much maligned EFL, and their decision since 2018 to they're, they're, they're actually guidelines but guidelines are better than nothing uh you know to say what what the what the points deductions can be for breaches of their their rules um so that you know they were cited over and over again the oh, EFL. I, I mean and when, we, when you're EFL signing with Paris organization the EFL's supposed to be the basket case hmm. can, and now yeah. and now they seem to be the grown-ups in the room so uh, we, we should also say that in 2020 it was put to the clubs because a, you know, a reminder, as I always say, that that this is a members' organisation. So it was put to the clubs: Do you want a framework? Do you want a ben- you know a, ben- a benchmark for what these punishments should be? And they said no. Hmm. They thought that they thought that the sort of ambiguity of it would would act as more of a deterrent. That's been proved to be utterly <laughs> false. So we need we need rules. Hmm. We need we need clear rules, hmm. and. I think the whole this whole episode has just shown that 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 the the governance has not been fit for purpose, purpose, which is not the first time this has happened. No. Coming back to the thing that all Everton fans will care about is immediately, and there's a friend of mine who listens to this show immediately as soon as he got four points, he calculated the table before I think even the Premier League had done it, and he was like, "Oh, I think we're going to be all right now." <laughs> Tone, do you think they'll be all right? Say if they don't get in a further deduction, they're on twenty five points in fifteenth now, and five clear of Luton in eighteenth. Do you think that the current standings? No, no further deductions changes the landscape of the relegation scrap. But they'll be they'll be fine. I think that they'll scrap their way, get results, and some of them being draws. I'm um, obviously two down already. If you want to really say Sheffield United and Burnley are already down, yeah. so it leaves a head to head to Luton. Basically, if we all ask the question, who do I think out of Luton and Everton and go down? I would say Luton. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of things I like about them, but if you're looking at the quality of the squad, I would go that for me. Everton will be fine and be safe, and uh, it's all that I find all this so strange because I remember talking about this, and I'm finding that so much negligence was being done by clubs, and whether they are ignoring the rules that were in place, you know, I can remember saying I can't believe what Forrest have done with the transfers, how many players they bought, and it was it was literally a, it felt like a running joke of how many mm. players they'd signed, mm. and sort of Chelsea's the amount of money they spent, and then so they're under investigation, um, but I you know every team that's under investigation, you sort of feel. Well, Everton, I remember for a period saying, how are Everton spending all this money? And they're meant to be building a stadium at the same time. Mm. And I just found it, it did, didn't add up. And I think there has been so many loopholes exposed with the way clubs have done their business. And and because it falls into that category of year by year, you're being judged. And in one year, you were out of the, you know, you were overspending one year. It's caused a lot of confusion for me that even you know, people who've been in football a long time don't un- quite understand how deep an issue this has really been. I mean, w- what we saw in this last transfer window was complete evidence that I think it should put shockwaves through the Premier League mm. with what mm. has happened to other clubs and might happen further down the line. Well, you say my, my, what, what might happen further down the line, obviously potential punishments coming for Manchester City, Chelsea and Nottingham Forest and Everton again. Martin, do you think the fact that you kind of hinted at this at the start with a 10-point um, deduction coming down to six... Does it set a slight precedent in terms of a narrative precedent, if you like, for football fans? Well, the commission that a said City that fan might, what, you know, if they get that's for very different things. We have know. to remember. The yeah. No, no, I, absolutely. But they're also very complicated things, and I think sometimes football fans look at it and go, "Well, we'll appeal it, and we'll get it'll get half because well, Everton got half." Well, the, the the commission said that there should be points deductions. I mean, every single time you get a, a, a load of lawyers involved, you know, they 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 come up with you know these different rules that they think and, and then that becomes the precedent and stuff. Everything and then, gets challenged. And then, a, and then a different set of lawyers come in and, and come up with another set of uh, precedents and rules that, that, that should be that, that should be taken as uh, as the, the starting point. So this latest lot have said um, that there should be points deductions. I don't agree with that. No. I, I don't agree with that. I, I think there's other ways of doing it, uh, doing it without interfering with the league table. Yeah. Um, so that the people that pay their money every single week, what they see is what matters. 
Yeah. Well, um, and then the rest of it is dealt with as a financial matter, as a boardroom matter. As but what the people see should matter. They need teeth. I know we've we've gone over this many times, but we and we've cited Leicester in the past and teams who did abide by Wolves. I mean, what that's why it's what's making their their season yeah. so miraculous. They they did a, they sold players to to comply yeah. with the regulations. That's why everyone thought they'd be relegated. Mm. And the teams that haven't done that or haven't done it to a sufficient extent, I, they, I think they have to be punished. But they want to make rules. We can do, and we're heading towards the the, the the age old debate. But they want to make rules against running the club badly. And you can't make rules against running the club badly. That's that has always been one of the things that moves clubs between leagues, between successful periods and fallow periods, is that someone will come in. It's it's about getting two things right. One, it's about getting the football right, and two, it's about getting the running of the club right. And the reason that Huddersfield won three leagues on the turn. Uh, three titles on the turn in the 1920s and have never been anywhere since is because they ran the club badly. Mm. They they made an investment in a stand. I think you'll find is what is what is what does for Huddersfield Town, and and that's and, and that's where it all went wrong. And you've got to you can't pass a rule that says and every club must be run really really well by very very sensible people who get every single decision right because you can't run a football club. You can't run a business like that. No, you definitely you know, can't. And Four people in this room could be one of the biggest mistakes Rupert Murdoch's ever made. We don't know. <laughs> one of us definitely is. I'm not going to. I'm going to let you listeners decide which one is which. And maybe all of us. Yeah, maybe all of us. Craig uh, Robertson, as you mentioned, there we have discussed this issue many times on the podcast, and we will discuss it again. But if you've got views on Everton's points deduction and future penalties for clubs, get in touch with me, Tom Clark at thetimes.co.uk. We're recording this on Thursday, and Sean Dyche is speaking around now for maybe the first for the time. Last time ever. Yeah, not Sean Dyche. No, we might be. Um, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, uh, he is giving his views on Everton's points deduction now, and you can read that on the Times website. But stick with us for now. Up next, we're talking Brighton and the Manchester derby. listening to me daisy apple's iphone disassembly robot is dismantling an iphone into lots of recyclable parts that's how apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods thanks daisy there's more to iphone small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark, and today I'm joined by Tony Cascarino, Martin Samuel and Gregor Robertson. Now, before we move on to talking about the week ahead, I wanted to mention the death of Stan Bowles, the former QPR forward. And Martin, you penned a lovely tribute at the weekend to the man who you called a maverick, a gambler and an entertainer. Yes, yeah. A hurried tribute, to be fair, um, as, as much as uh, anything else. Well, for what it's worth, you shouldn't agonise over the rest of it because it was brilliant. <laughs> well, that's very sweet of you. But, um, yeah, Stan Bowles was... Um, I would say he was unique, but there was it was a period of time when there were a few players like Stan Bowles, but I don't think there was anyone quite like mm. Stan Bowles. And people used to say, it is a wonderful, wonderful line of his that... Um, he said that people always thought that he was uh, a footballer who gambled. 
And what he actually was, was an addictive gambler who happened to be very good at football. Um, so there's an awful lot of stories about Stan that all centre around gambling. I mean, I spent an afternoon with him uh, many years ago, went to interview him, and we met in a pub in West London, and he was playing Snakes and Ladders um, with various people in the pub for 50 quid a corner. Now, it's it's a game of pure chance. Snakes I mean, and ladders. Snakes and ladders. It's a game of complete chance. There is absolutely no skill involved. Uh, was it a personal favourite of his, or was it just the uh, only one just, they had in the I pub? Don't, I have no idea the context. I know we had a very, very amusing afternoon. Um, but he was playing snakes and ladders for 50 quid a corner. And, you know, so there's all sorts of stories about staying about and going to, you know, one time trying to give up gambling and going to Gamblers Anonymous and meeting a bloke on the on the stairs to the to the sort of town hall or whatever it was being held and uh, on the stairs going in and having a bet about how long uh, how long he would last. Um, and, how long uh, he would last in Gamblers Anonymous? Gamblers Anonymous. Oh, I mean, it's just beautiful. So, um, <laughs> uh, but all of these stories sort of, what they do is they obscure how good he was at football. And right. You've got to remember that uh, 75, 76, I want to say, and, and uh, QBR fans will correct this if I'm wrong. 75, 76, they're 14 minutes away from winning the league. Queen's Park Rangers, um, 14 minutes. I mean, Liverpool are drawing uh, with Wolves in, and then they score three goals after the 76th minute um, and win the league. And apart from, Keegan you know... got two. Sorry, yeah, Keegan got two, yeah, yeah. And so that's what they were up against, and it was a it was a great QPR team. It really was a really really good quality, but it was all built around Stan Bowles and and f- players. And I'm, we've got two in the in the studio here. Players don't stand for wasters. You don't put, players don't stand for a guy however talented if he doesn't put it in or whatever. And the players loved Stan. Because he was he was more than just some maverick nutcase who would turn up ten minutes before kick off or whatever fresh from the from the betting office. He was a, he was a team player. He you know he set people up for goals. He scored great goals himself. Drove matches. Drove victories. One of the stories I told in there was they played Sunderland in seventy two seventy three season. They played Sunderland um, the week after Sunderland had won the FA Cup. And uh, Stan had a bet on the coach going up because he knew they were going to be parading the FA Cup and they were going to put it on this plinth. And he had a bet that um, he could knock the FA Cup off its plinth um, during the match. And so it sat on the, for the it, whole game? It sat on the side at Roker Park until Stan went the width of the pitch deliberately to make sure he didn't miss it and absolutely pinged it off the uh, off the plinth <laughs> just out for and, throwing and nearly and nearly caused a riot basically <laughs> and uh, and then <laughs> and then um, when you said he was a maverick oh, I mate, and then and then um, after that after knocking the FA Cup off off the plinth um, he went down he like some ridiculous actor sort of play acting that got uh, Mick Horswell I think it was uh, sent off um, who was like Sunderland hero, and then the fans invade the pitch. Then the players have to be taken to the. It's all it's all done by Stan, all provoked by Stan Bowles. There's a pitch invasion at Roker Park. The players have to go off for their own safety, etc., etc. But the postscript is this: Queens Park Rangers beat Sunderland three 0 I think Stan scored twice. Yeah. It was absolutely immense. It was the difference between the so two. So talking teams. about them players, then for for the young for the younger listener, you know, like Gregor, for example, you're still young, mate. There you go. Uh, what kind of a player was he like? Well, like, who, was he, who was, was he? Who was he? Who was he like okay, in modern so, modern uh, parlance? Like, who did he play like? Well, Don Shanks, who was his big friend from Queens Park Rangers, compared him to if if you wanted to know what right. the, the sort of skill he, he compared him to Aguero. Really. Um, that sort of that sort of level of ability, and said he was a continental footballer. When we didn't have continental right. footballers in this country before there was the, before there was the invasion, but you'll see stuff, and it's like, you know, when people say if you see some of Jimmy Greaves' stuff, it's like Messi mm. because it's one of those things where Greaves he seems to be going at a different speed. Where everyone, everyone else is around him is you know playing at sort of 78 and he's playing at 33 basically and Stan could be like that yeah, yeah. And I would have said Zola 
yeah, Reminded yeah, me yeah. of Zola. I mean, I, I went to... When Theo Foley was the assistant to George Graham, um, Theo took me when I was a kid. Well, say kid, I was about 15, 16 at QPR, Greenford. I went training and that was the era of Sam Bowles mm. and many, mm. many others at that time. Phil Parks in goal and others. Mm. And I was I was watching a finishing session by the two reserves, Clive Allen and Paul Goddard. <laughs> and I was watching it, literally gobsmacked up how good they were. Mm. Thinking they're like two years older than me. Mm. And thinking, wow, the level of finishing is extraordinary. And Stan come alongside me and then they're good, isn't they? And mm. I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he went, that's the standard, son. Can you reach it? And I remember <laughs> thinking, you're Stan Pops. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, I mean, look, Terry Erlock was with him at Brentford. Yeah, yeah. And Terry Erlock was his close friend. And Terry said, I mean, because they had a pub at every corner of the ground. Yeah, that's they? right. Famous at, at Griffin Park. So he'd come, they'd get him out of the pub 20 minutes before kickoff to yeah. come in and get changed, Stan. And, 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 and there was a sad side to Stan, which was mm. the gambling. Mm. And Terry said that he had a testimonial at Brentford. And he'd done all the money in the first week that he'd made. It was either 20 grand or something, you know, right. which would have been a lot of money. He said, Stan blew all that money in that mm. first week of getting that, mm. you know, testimonial. No, if you're playing snakes and adders for 50 grand. Well, I mean, and, and, no, and it was yeah. a fair while ago, yeah. this. This is, you know, I'm... I'm I mean, you now, know. you know, he'd have been a, helped a lot more with some of the stuff. But it's... I mean, I... I can remember being in a training session when we were playing a five-a-side and he was up against me. I was playing... I was a centre-half at that time. I was. I never mm. played centre forward, and I and I can remember him coming at me and just thinking, just stand up because yeah, he was looking. Don't know to, where he's going to go. No, well, yeah, you could. Well, he'd get in between you. He'd go underneath you. He was a bit of everything. Uh, but one of the, to the truly greats that had a crazy lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. As much as George Best, it was that crazy. It was right. the George yeah. Best type of thing. Right, Funny thing is, we're like Tony doing an impression of Stan Bowles. There. Yeah, whenever anyone. Either does Stan Bowles or talks about Stan Bowles as if he was a Londoner, but he wasn't. He was a Mancunian. Yeah. Mm. Came from the same part of Manchester as Les Dawson, Brian Kidd, and stuff. Came from Collyhurst. Um, and the other thing I would like to point out um, is if you can ch find it um, anywhere, there is, and, and you like classical music, there is a piece of uh, music by Michael Nyman called Final Score which is off uh, an album called uh, After Extra Time. Um, and it's a concerto for football. And it is written, it, it, its inspiration is the 75-76 Queen's Park Rangers season, Michael Nyman being a massive Queen QPR fan, and specifically Stan Bowles. And if you go onto YouTube, you can probably find the Channel 4 documentary that was made about it. It's magnificent. The piece of music is magnificent. Uh, anyone who can inspire a concerto, it should be it should be noted. Um, the piece of music is magnificent. The documentary is very good as well, and it also includes some music. But it's called Michael. It's by Michael Nyman. Uh, the concerto is called The Final Score and the record is called After Extra Time. Well, if producer Neil's got any skills about him at all, he'll have found this piece of music <laughs> and, and he'll be and overlaying it over your and words. And if anyone from Queen's Park Rangers is listening, it should be on sale in your club shop. Yeah, well, there you go. Because you don't get too many football clubs get a concerto with really, it. Absolutely. Musical lessons and insights about Stan Bowles. And if you want to read Martin's piece, if you just Google search Martin's name and Stan Bowles, it'll take you to the Times website and you can read that piece. Now, from one of your pieces, Martin, to another, and we often talk about your columns. Uh, yeah, do you like that link? Yeah, I, I thought it was uh, very professional. Yeah, yeah, thanks very, very much. Because it was talking about your pieces, that's yeah, why. Very um, we're talking about... I know about... why Ken Bruce quit now. Yeah. You know, he, he couldn't stand the, he couldn't stand the right. There's no there. need for that. <laughs> Anyway, your Tuesday column, which was another excellent piece of writing. Uh, but normally I tend to read out the headlines, but I don't think this one quite does it justice, and I want listeners to get the full scope of what you're saying. So I'm going to read your intro. Here's a prediction, not one I wish to come true. In the next five seasons, maybe even sooner, Brighton and Hove Albion will be relegated. Not because they're bad, but because they're too good. Given the context of their resources and limitations, Brighton are as good as any team in the Premier League right now. And for that reason, it simply cannot last. So Brighton are going down. You're talking about someone who's making bets and predictions just just yeah, now. That's in one, the next, that's one of in the next five years, I think. So explain um, it. Explain it to us. Is this, it, is right, this a okay. kind of Leicester so scenario? South, no, we're good? looking at uh, mainly at Southampton. I would say mainly at Southampton that, that Brighton have got a problem, and it's the same problem that Southampton had. That they're they're too good for their own good, basically. Um, 
and what I also listed in there, if you know, uh, if I can. You've got all the players. Do you want me to list the players? Well, it's, it's not just the players, is it? It is Moses Caicedo, you're, you're... Alexis McAllister, Robert Sanchez, Mark Cucurella, Eve Basuma, Leandro Trossard, Ben White, Dan Byrne, Graham Potter, Bjorn Hamburg, Bruno Bruno Salter, Ben Roberts, Kyle McCauley, Dan Ashworth, Paul Win Stanley, and now Sam Jewell. Yeah, so that's that's the staff that Brighton have lost in the last two or three years. Um, players, recruitment staff, backroom staff, one manager. Um, well. You, you can't sustain that. Sooner or later, what is going to happen is it's going to be either one player too many or it's going to be a run of injuries. Now, you look at, say, last night they get knocked out by Wolves. Now, Brighton are at full strength are probably a better team than Wolves. I think we would agree on that. Wolves, Gary Neal has done very well, as, we, as we've all said, but Brighton are a better team than Wolves. They've got beaten last night. Matoma's out for the season. Um... There's now speculation about Roberto De Zerbi, about he could leave at the end of the season. You know, is he on Liverpool's list? Is he on this list? Is he on that list? Well, you can't keep getting away with it. Sooner or later, there is going to be a tipping point, as there was with Southampton. And in there, I've listed, you know, they bought Virgil van Dijk and Sadio Mane and guys like that, you know, cheaply and sold them for vast profits or whatever. But then you look at the guys that were coming after that. Sooner or later, you can't just put pull a rabbit out of the hat every single time. Even if you are Tony Bloom, even if you have got the greatest analytics um, guys in, in the world, this is not a, a dig at Brighton in any way, shape, no, or form. This is actually say, yeah. this is this is praise for Brighton. I just I think it's very unfortunate that. Um, you, it's not sustainable. It's sustainable in a financial way. I'm sure they've got a lovely balance sheet that everyone that they can parade around town as much as they like. But it's not sustainable um, in a football sense because sooner or later, something is going to happen. Some bit of bad luck. You make the wrong managerial appointment. You, you know, you buy a striker to replace the striker you've just sold and it doesn't turn out to be quite what you thought. And it all comes home to roost. Tony, um, we spoke about Sam Bowles and his betting, and yeah. um, obviously got him in a lot of trouble. But we mm. could have a, a meal bet if you want. I'll yeah. take Brighton stay up. <laughs> You'll take in yeah. the next five seasons. Five. Over the next five seasons, right? Uh, the only thing I say, Mark, so they're obviously not you, going you down this season. So we want. To, I want the parameters of this. They're obviously not going down this season. So it starts next year. It starts if, if you want, if you want to have another year, if you're that. You know. <laughs> no, I, but you know they're not going no, down no. this season. I so think, do I. I think your point is very valid in many ways concerning lots of clubs I think you could make an argument that Wolves could go down Crystal Palace could go down Bournemouth could go down and teams that obviously come up could mm. easily go back down and that that's my starting point really is that teams that get promoted and way more likely I think in the next five years to just keep doing what they're mm. doing is go down and you mentioned Bloom Bloom is a genius mm. in many different ways and I, I would say it He's probably the best owner in the world of any football club mm. who understands sport like no other. Mm. And all like you spoke about, all the analytics, the, he goes into so much and he employs really smart people. And I think he's confident he can always replace them smart people, whether it's a manager, whether it's a director of football. And obviously recruitment analysis has been incredible at that football club they still have a squad where they're probably going to have to fight off a lot of vultures in the next season alone again with clubs coming after these players but that puts them in a powerful position Brighton still because they know how to spend money and they've been doing it really well and I think if he wasn't at the football club I'd say you're 100% right that Brighton could easily go I just think Bloom is the Lionel Messi the Ronaldo (laughs) of a player he's that as an owner He's, he's just outstanding. Can I, can I just check a couple of things on this bet? So it's the end of the 2031 well, season, is that? <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you can and have 30 or 31. Can me and Gregor come, whoever, whoever yes. wins? Oh, yeah, we'll yes. all go. Yeah, we'll, all go. <laughs> we'll all go. I'll, I'll, and just, the lose. I'll just say one <laughs> thing. And we'll record this. a podcast for uh, this, this theory is, would not be a surprise to Tony Bloom, because I was good as said it to Tony Bloom, and Fine. he didn't disagree. Maybe he can come for the meal no, as well. No, no. Because Tony, even Tony Bloom so, can work out that, you know, yes, no, I'm not saying he can't wrong. work it out. I, I look, 
Tony Bloom didn't play a poker competition for 10 years. Yeah. Last November, went and won one. Mate, I know, he, he, I know he, what Tony He Bloom has is. got the, the idea of, I think he'd always play down mostly everything, mm. and he'd understand your point of view. I totally get it. I'd say you're 100% right on nearly everybody else around at some of that mid-table mm. and teams coming up. But I just think Brighton is so different under him. They also seem to have something that, like, he, he, there's still a dividing line between, you know, the data analytics that mm. made them so so well you know well thought of in, in recruitment and the actual the people that are being poached it's not like they can take that with them you know Chelsea can hire Win Stanley and Jewel and all that yeah. but, they, but they don't they can't hire they can't transfer the data that, that Brighton have and they seem no. to have something pretty special there you know you know, we know it's slightly it's slightly removed from Brighton as it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a business yeah Star Lizard that that they they pay I think three million a year you said in the fees. yeah 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 three million a year for the use of their services so there's you know, that's like outside of Brighton and it's not something that any other club can have access to that's one thing I I also just think that you look at the you even look at the team last night Adingra Buonanotte uh, Julio Enciso is coming off the bench these are all like teenagers mm. who mm. they they signed from South America or wherever and. They're hitting the ground running, and there's like they keep hitting them, they keep getting them. <laughs> mm. they, there's very few duds, and I just think they are. I, I kind of a, I would be inclined to agree with Tony. I think that I think the point is is absolutely valid about most yeah. about every club in the Premier League, but Brighton have got something. I think the big I think the biggest threat, in fact, is is a change of manager because that can do something to destabilise the first team, you know, pretty profoundly, and you'd have to rectify it quickly. But they do have they, they, they have the same in place with managers as they do with players, right? They do. They, they've, in they theory, do, they've got they do, but the influence of a manager. Oh, he'll know. the influence of a manager is is different. To no, if I you agree. Get a few, I, if you get a I player agree. wrong, no, I agree. Hmm. Um, also, very very wise to have made that bet, chaps, because now our employers have to keep us here for at least six years <laughs> to, yeah, to, to, make the, to make the special podcast happen. In terms of that ownership, then, because you talked about other teams, are there other teams in the Premier League that you think fall into this? Category yeah, well, as well. Brentford. I mentioned. Yeah. Look, the thing with Brighton is everyone's thought the same thing about Southampton that this they had this system, they had this amazing system, and this, but even the most amazing system can't can't countenance for four injuries, mm. say, um, in key positions or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, Brentford. I mentioned Brentford. I mentioned the guy um, Thiago that they bought in January, thirty-one million pounds from Bruges, uh, who. Everyone says, right, they've done the Ivan Tony business already. This they've you know, they're not they're not gonna sell Ivan Tony and then get asked absolute fortunes because they've just got eighty or ninety million or whatever they get for Ivan Tony. They've already done the business, thirty one million pounds, January, Club Bruges. And you look at his numbers, you look at everything about him, you look at Brentford's track record, um and that looks a really, really smart move. But None of us have seen him play yet. Um, supposedly takes a little while to adapt to the Premier League, as can happen. Supposedly gets injured, as can happen. You look at you look at the problems that Chelsea have got, say, this season, and people go, "Oh, the team is this, or the team is that." And I'm as guilty of it as anybody. The team is the team's not doing this. This is not the team that Chelsea envisaged playing. Disaster isn't meant to be in this team. No. There's so many players, you know. Gusto is not meant to be in this team. Um, there's so many players in the current Chelsea team that aren't actually meant to be there. Why? Because they've got injuries up the kazoo. Now, if if you are Brentford or Brighton and you have one yeah, of those I seasons, totally understand that. suddenly it's it, I mean, it, it falls that apart. Season. Well, they are to some extent. Yeah, they are to some extent. Uh, yeah, and, and they're going backwards now. It's beginning to go ever so slightly backwards because you can't sustain it. And that's not because Brighton aren't well run. Brighton are as well run sitting eighth or wherever they are at the moment. Seventh. A seventh, right. They were as well run sitting seventh as they were sitting fourth early in the season or last season or whatever when they were in the top four. They're as well run now as they are then. But circumstances change. And when you're a club of Brighton size, circumstances can change it very, very quickly. There is no amount of injuries that Liverpool can get that are going to put them in third relegation. Mm. There's no amount of injuries. They could play that team that they played last night. They could play them for the rest of the season. They might not win the league, but they 
they're not going to go down. And that's the same with all of the elite teams. There's six teams, maybe seven if you want to include Newcastle. There's six teams and then there's everybody else and they are in the mix every single year if they get a run of bad luck. It's an absolutely fascinating debate and one that I'm sure will get listeners talking. So if you've got your views, either Brighton fans or otherwise, get in touch with me, tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk. Now, a very exciting moment, chaps, because we've got some breaking news. This never normally happens on the podcast. It normally happens about 20 minutes oh, after we've yeah. finished. But Paul Pogba has been banned for four years for doping to effectively end his career. Now, this is, of course, it was initially suspended in September after failing a drugs test with the Italian giant Juventus. Um, and a secondary sample was then counter-analysed and was also also returned positive and the news just coming out now that he's been given a four-year ban for doping he's currently 30 so that would potentially end his career your reactions to that if of any i'm sad mm. it's very sad i mean james gilbrandt wrote a really good piece a few weeks back about his kind of decline injuries obviously all the off-field stuff that's happening with his like kind of blackmail case and his, his brother involved in it and an interview he gave Shortly before that ban, where he was saying he kind of wishes that he could have a normal life, mm. <laughs> and look, it's easy to get the tiny violins out because he's a very rich guy and he's you know he's larger than life character and he's been a big presence in football for a long time, but ultimately it's a very very sad way for a player of his talent for his career to end. And whether it says mm. you know clearly he's made a mistake, <clears throat> uh, it's, it's still a very sad end for him. Yeah, I've read the same piece and I've read a couple of pieces that have been come out of the keep in France and uh, this story is not going to end just with this. No. Um, there's a continuation and uh, there was always a reason why we never saw the very best of Paul Bogba when he was at Man United. There was a lot going on in his personal life. Like you mentioned, his brother, gang members um, that were around him. I I hope he hasn't blown everything he's ever earned as well because that's a danger and with investments and things that he might have been led down a garden path on um i would like to have thought that that four-year ban would be halved in some give him some sort of leeway of having a chance again because i'm sure over the last year or two he's really suffered mentally about what's gone on in his life and the change and that must have been devastating i think we saw that at united um and I was just, I think it's like, I'm like, Gregor, I just think it's really sad that a player of that, you know, so much ability who was absolutely instrumental and then winning the World Cup and just just seeing it pan out this way, I just think it's really, really sad. And uh, I would like to think that somewhere along the line they might just go, you know, let's give this guy a chance, whether it's two years or even that seems a real hard call, isn't it? Being two years at 30, being out of the game and mm. not being able to, to play, I just... It just feels the bigger picture is pretty dreadful for Pogba uh, from what I've read and what I've heard. Um, so I just think it's incredibly sad. Yeah, well, I'm sure you can read the latest on Paul Pogba and some analysis on the Times website by the time you're listening to this podcast. Um, Pogba's former club, Manchester United, are in the big game this weekend. So we're going to finish with that and the Manchester derby. Um, what kind of derby do you think this is going to be? They tend to fall into a couple of different categories, the Manchester derbies, over the last 10 years or so. There's the nil-nil, the really boring one, when it gets built up and then it finishes nil-nil and United tend to camp out on the edge of their penalty area. There's the one-nil Onigun Solskjaer shock win uh, or there's the pedestrian 80% possession Manchester City victory with some Olays and Raheem Sterling doing naughty things by the corner flag that gets him in trouble with Pep Guardiola. There are your three options. Where's it going, where's it going to fall, Martin Sanders? Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, uh, true, thank you for listening it? to the game no, football. It's true, isn't it? I, I have made this point in here before. It, it, you know, if I could actually present, but you know, predict, you did predict. You predict, predicted Brighton would go down in the, five the years. Predict, well, Come on. That, yeah, but that was a five uh, and a half now. Yeah, five, five and a half. half. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can tell why he's a poker player. He, <laughs> he, he, he wants to include a season where they're currently seventh. Um, <laughs> the, um, the, but. Look, if I could predict the uh, outcome of football matches, I wouldn't be, need to be say doing this podcast. But well, you we, are, so I'm yeah, asking but you. I am, yeah, so uh, mate, I don't know. The I was there for the Solskjaer one. Yeah. Um, when they beat them, and you know, it was it was it was a ridiculous result because Manchester City was so much better than Manchester United that season, and then you know the derby comes along and you chuck the dice up in the air. 
I think Manchester City are a much better team than Manchester United. Do we? Think, I think Manchester City will win. Yeah. Do, a different question then. Do we think, in light of the things we were talking about last week with Eric Ten Hag and Jim Ratcliffe and the changes he's putting in place and the way these things in moving momentum lost to Fulham, yes, admittedly they beat Nottingham Forest, but only just, if there is a hammering on the cards here, does that put even, you know, obvious question, but does that then put the Eric Ten Hag issue firmly back on the table well, if there's I, I anything think, more than a 2-0 defeat? I don't think Eric Ten Hag's future has ever been off the table since uh, Ratcliffe took over. I, I really don't. I I can't see... I, I can't see how he can be their man for next season because if he was their man for next season, you've got to come out and say it. Mm. Um, because at the moment, I mean, there was a story uh, in the week that, you know, a lot of the players had asked for the Sunday off after the uh, Fulham match. Mm. Um, you know, they usually come in to do whatever they're going to do, have a massage, warm down. warm down, you know, look at a video, someone point out, you know, really, you shouldn't let him go, should you? <laughs> um, and, um, and instead, some of the players are saying, well, why can't we have the day off? I don't think that happens if you've got the manager breathing down your neck that you're scared of, that you think he's going to be there next season. I don't think anyone's asking to take Sunday off. If if you know, So I think the players have almost got it into their heads, this guy's, this guy's gone, you know, because if he, if he wasn't gone, the new owners would surely have said, this is our man. I, so They may not have made up their mind. They might not have made up their mind. I mean, I agree but, with you, but I'm yeah. just, I'm just acting as devil's yeah. advocate here. Yeah. There's a, there is another possibility. That, that they haven't made sure up yet. their mind. Yeah. But, so, he's, well, I was going to say, he's on trial. Mm. Like, players are on trial at times. Yeah. You know, they're they making the argument they had the day off, but they had the day off against Fulham. You know, that's what a strong manager would say. Yeah. Come straight out with it. Just say, well, you had the day off yesterday, didn't you? Mm. You know, because managers do that. Um, mm. You'll just be praying that there's not, like, it's not one of those days where the gulf is like a chasm and it's so clear and you watch yeah. Manchester United, uh, Man City just bopping the, bopping the ball around having 800 passes or whatever, I don't know, 70% of the ball and if people sitting in the stands are just like, mm. yeah, we're not seeing much here. Just You'll just hope that it's not one of those days and it very well could be. See, uh, what you, you asked the question, can you predict, and Martin, what you can predict, exactly what Gregor just said, yeah. is that, and we could all sit here and go, well, we know who's going to have the ball, yeah. how long they're going to have it, what they're going to do with it. There's another bet. How long are the City going to have the ball? <laughs> well, no, <laughs> I mean, the possession could be like 70, 30, I don't know. Sure. It's going to be ridiculous. Tony, I saw them at West Ham, I think it was the opening game of the season, either, I think last year, maybe even the season before, and I saw them at West Ham. And they're just, it was just, it was amusing because I think they only won 2 0 actually. But they were knocking it about, knocking it about. And after a little while, you got that sort of Lord's hum. You know, like when you go to a cricket match at Lord's and the cricket match is going on and everyone's just talking amongst themselves because it's one of those fallow periods where the game's gone to sleep, no one's doing much. So everyone's turning around and saying, so you, did, you, did you get away? Did you get away this time? Because Man City have just got the ball and they're just going to me, to you, to you, back to me. Oh, you can have it there. And everyone's just sort of disengaged from the game because they know West Ham aren't going to get it back for about 10 minutes. And so they're like, so did you get away, Charlie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went down. To, yeah, yeah. We, we've got a place in Valencia. And yeah, that's nice. Yeah, <laughs> Valencia, very Yeah, nice. absolutely, yeah. Uh, they're very upmarket, these West Ham yeah, fans, I'm say. imagining. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and it, but it was that sort of thing. People were just yeah. having a little conversation. If they if they had picnic hampers, they would have been getting them out going, do you fancy a sausage roll? Because <laughs> there, there was nothing happening out on the pitch other than Man City just passing to each other. I've never been one of those people that find Man City boring. I, I find it, it, it magnificent what they do. But I can see, yeah. I can understand the people that go, oh, it's boring, isn't it? Because you can't get the ball off them. And there could be periods like that at, at, at no, the weekend. Be. You yeah, know, yeah, where you're be. just sitting there while Man City nugget about between themselves and Manchester United are sort of interested observers. I'd be amazed... 
What is it? Saturday or Sunday? Sunday. Sunday. Is it Sunday? Yeah. I'll be amazed if Monday morning uh, you say to me, or I mean, I'm not on the podcast, I don't think. Anyway, Tom. You are. Oh, am I Monday? Okay, I'm on Monday. I'll be amazed if I'm talking about Man United winning at the Etihad. Great. Well, there's a note to end it on, Neil. Clip it up. We're all ready and set for Monday's show. Martin Samuel, Tony Cascarino and Gregor Robson, thank you very much for joining me. What a fantastic, sprawling conversation that was. I hope you enjoyed it listening as well. As Tony says, we'll be back on Monday to talk about that Manchester derby. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.